Welcome to Old Dog New Tricks. Everyone has heard this saying before, but today we are going to put that theory to the test. My co-host John and I are going to be talking about price anchoring and what that means to you as an investor. We are also going to be talking a little bit more big picture economics to help set the stage for a future podcast. So let's get down to it. Thanks, Austin. I appreciate you inviting me to chat with you about price anchoring. And Absolutely. You've- begun to explain it to me a little bit, but maybe you can tell me a little bit more. For sure. So what is price anchoring? Most people don't really know what price anchoring is or what that definition is. So we're just going to start with the basic definition. So price anchoring is the natural tendency to use the first number we see as a benchmark for judgment and the price of and negotiation and purchase and decision making when we look at something to buy. So we do this every day with something on Amazon. We see the price, you know, the list price is $305 and then it's crossed out and they put on sale for $189, which is saved you this much. So your first inclination is that first price you see is the $305. So we're trying to understand the, the whole notion and the whole psychology behind these things and how it relates to investing and assets. Great. You know, you remind me of a professor that I had in this grad school. It was at Boston University, and his name was Max Bazerman. And Max Bazerman, I think, was ultimately credited with the idea of framing in negotiation, which is a sort of a derivative of the idea of, of anchoring. Yes. And he always explained it with some great examples, either from law or, or business. So, for example, in law, in the context of settlements and settlement discussions, going into a, a, a settlement, there'll always be a number floated because a settlement is ultimately yeah. about walking away with money. With money, right? yeah. Right, yeah. and so I've always found it sort of interesting that because I have some had some involvement and exposure to law and settlements. I am actually an attorney, although I don't practice, but I let you know that just to let you know that I have that, that education as well. That's right. And there would be tremendous effort um, in what's called the discovery phase in leading up to a settlement discussion as to what the number should be. Yeah. For people, one, to, one on person side. to pay both, the other. They're both and negotiating walk. each side before they get there. That's right. <laughs> What's the low ball and, we can get away with? <laughs> yeah. And so the way it usually goes behind the closed doors before the actual settlement discussion is something like, well, you know, plaintiff thinks that they're entitled to $200,000. We could choose any number. Yeah. $200,000. And so the lawyers in thinking about, you know, framing the settlement discussion and negotiation say, great. So then our settlement number is, oh, between four hundred and fifty and $500,000. Meanwhile, in the other room or at the other yeah, law you firm, get the lawyers down fees. the street, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> diff, 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 <laughs> Defendants are, 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 are saying, you know, yeah, you know, that might, oh gosh, maybe it's worth, you know, $150,000 to yeah. be done with this. But I think we'll start at 50 or 20, yeah. <laughs> you know, to establish. Six grand. 
<laughs> yeah. Right. We'll right. fight our way up. <laughs> exactly. So the point, just as you're saying, is to just to establish an anchor point. And you, you used a merchant's example. Actually, I, I actually saw one last night. So I was watching late night television and there's this guy that sells pillows, my pillow. Maybe you've heard mm-hmm. of the yeah, my pillow guy and he sells my coffee and my <laughs> other things. And so he's got a new thing. It's my slippers. And it, it shows, you, you know, ladies and, and slippers, and you can buy slippers for your, you know, favorite squeeze. And so the price is, you know, one fifty nine ninety five. But if you act now, of course, they're, you know, thirty nine ninety five, or as the case may be, with the special code. Oh, you have to code. include the special code. But exactly. that's another great example of, of your point of anchoring or what Max Bazerman called framing yeah, for in sure. negotiation. And, and how it relates to crypto and what I've had most people that I am trying to explain this to is usually people who have seen crypto for a long time and they have been following it, but they never made that jump is because I saw Bitcoin at $1,000. How could it be worth $24,000? It makes no sense. You know, I saw Ethereum at 15 bucks. Why is it over, you know, why is it over almost $2,000 right now. Why is it hovering around $1,700? It's it's doing the same thing. There's no difference. And that is something that, you know, each time that you're making a purchase or an investment, you have to recalibrate your thinking. You have to go back to that very objective base and say, well, I'm coming from a different angle. You know, this, my, you know, what they're experiencing is, is price anchoring. They've seen that price and they're waiting it either to go back down to that price at a time or that's what they feel comfortable paying and even though it's much farther past that price they never make the jump because i mean i saw it a thousand so you know that's kind of the thing we're kind of learning about today is what objective pieces can can we actually use to say you know this is the true value this is what we've seen you know it's becoming the, you know, the longer it's in existence, the more valuable it becomes. And we've seen it day in and day out over the last 10 years. And now we are seeing its ability to hold value because it's, you know, how we were talking about a little bit earlier, it's, it's priced in dollars. And we've seen that it has its value because more so not that its price is going up, but perhaps that the strength of our dollar is not maintaining what it, it is over that past decade. What are your thoughts there? Yes, I, I, I think of two dynamics with regard to the pricing. One is the dynamic of future expectations. And so if people believe and have good reasons for be- believing that, that a, a, a certain coin will have more value in the future, then they'll pay more for it, you know, o- yeah. o- over time. At the same time, and this probably, I think, goes directly to your point, they're making the assumption of a stable U.S. dollar, yes. relatively stable U.S. dollar. That's just what what we do. So when we talk about the pricing... Of anything. And, uh, of know. anything. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and this is certainly true if you live in the U.S. or are connected to the U.S., you think in, yeah. in terms of dollars, then you're always pricing crypto in those units, in, in, in units of dollars. And ultimately, I think if you chat with invest in crypto, a good share of them, if not the majority, will say that their intention 
is to see their crypto grow in value and ultimately sell it and for, and convert for it US dollars. to US do more US dollars. So there's again sure. the assumption that the US dollar is is stable. And I would um, I would say it's definitely something that's more seen with a little bit older generation. Me personally, you know, I'm like, oh, that's point one ETH. What's that? Like 170 bucks? <laughs> that's that's yeah. <laughs> that's how my my thought process usually goes first. I think of an ETH terms first. I'm like, yeah, that's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as we get farther along on these things, you know, yeah, everything's priced in the dollar. You know, so sorry, you can continue on there. I was I no, actually, I'm I'm glad for <laughs> what you just said was actually an insight for me because yeah. you thought and then spoke in terms of ETH and not in terms of U.S. dollars. Yeah. I've never done that. Yeah, ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the strength of the currency aspect. You know, these aren't just investment vehicles for future use, you know, like it can be used as and like the the more adoption that these you know bitcoin and, and and other cryptos gain the more likely they are to be people thinking oh well that's only 0.01 bitcoin or that's only 0.1 eth you know so again we have turning that on its head is something i think especially for your generation it's definitely a very difficult switch it's it is. It's hard for me to think Can about it. Can the old it. dog overcome this? That's well. That's right. Plus, plus, right now, at this just at this point in history, we have another very important dynamic going on that could potentially relate to whether the dollar is a an anchor point that won't move too much yeah. or be replaced. And what I'm what I'm saying here is a. I, potentially an important train of thought because after World War II, so we have late 1940s and early 1950s, which you weren't on the planet yet. I just arrived <laughs> in 1953, where the manufacturing of Germany had been destroyed. Yeah. The manufacturing of Japan had, had been destroyed. We were the only game in town, the U.S. Yeah. And somehow, some way, we were either wise enough, enough or, to, or yeah, just worked yeah. out right that we became the default currency for the planet, mm. the U.S. dollar, and we became the currency, very importantly, for the purchase of oil. All purchases of oil that time were in U.S. dollars. And so we had what... We kind of switched uh, that, that gold mindset to the oil mindset because the, you know, the, the, the speed at which we had done business prior to that was a lot slower. And now we are seeing correct. it kind of evolve again, where, you know, we went from three to five business days. It's like, wow, it's so fast. And now we're going to like, now I can send you Bitcoin and Ethereum in 35 seconds. You yes. know, it's that much faster. And again, we see the shift from this was you know, bartering. Now we have some sort of currency. Now we have using something pegged to our entire energy sector. And is the next step something, you know, that step, that evolution of crypto. So. Right. And, you know, we did wander from the gold standard for better or for worse and other countries followed suit. But the one of the more important things to understand is that because we have been the world's default currency, essentially the message to other countries was and has been 
and we'll see how long it continues to be, you adapt to us. We don't adapt yes, to you. That's sure. the way it works. And so the, the U.S. essentially, after World War II, said to the entire world, you adapt to the U.S. dollar. That's the policy. And so that's been our sort of stable anchor. And this the is the part. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is apart from what we do with our currency and what other countries do with their currencies with regard to sort of trade wars. You know, like countries will For intentionally sure. devalue their currency because it helps their exports and ultimately can help them with economic growth. So I'm, I'm staying away from that, but just to say that the U.S. dollar has been the anchor, an anchor yeah, point. The de facto how we th- unit of exchange right. for over right. what? you know, since the 40s, 50s, so, you know, the years. That's right. And and as Germany and Japan rebuilt their manufacturing bases, they've all really had to continue to comply with the default currency of the world being the U.S. dollar, where we're seeing the potential for a game change or a threat to that actually is China, because China is different number of ways, but in one very important sense, it's different because unlike Japan, unlike England, unlike Germany, it's not a protectorate of the United States. Yes. You know, Japan can only, can only mess with us so much. You know, they don't have the economic power. They had, you know, a big bubble and burst problem for <laughs> spanning almost 20 years in their own sure. economy. And China doesn't, have to worry or care about us being a protectorate of China. Protect that's a, it's a, it's a, a huge difference. Right. And so one potential threat to the U.S. dollar is that China says, yep, we're not adapting to the U.S. and the U.S. dollar anymore. Matter of fact, we prefer that the planet run on the remumbi. That's that's a fine unit of exchange, you know. Yeah. I'm over. I'm oversimplifying it, but that that For essentially sure. is the. But I mean, the they're you know, I don't know exactly, but I'm they're they have to be one of the top or largest exporters of goods. You know, they are holding a lot of chips in their hands, and they and you're seeing how currently they are kind of playing with fire on the whole Taiwan thing. I don't know if anyone's been following that, but they have been doing, you know, recently the U.S. government met with Taiwan to kind of secure more of like a trade deal and allow them to have good exports and maintain their current, you know, export import of goods for their silicone chips, which is highly needed in most of our sectors. You know, everything is becoming more of some sort of electronic. They, everyone, everything needs a chip. Everything needs a motherboard type thing situation. So now that we are seeing China say, you know, now we're doing these military exercises out right outside for the next month where it effectively has like an embargo or, or a blocking of ship blockade out in, in the waters around Taiwan. So, you know, this is kind of the first couple of steps in that direction of, you know, possibly are we going to allow America to stay hold, like holding the dollar above us or, or are they going to kind of change that thought process? Yes, and the way in which China goes about mm, managing the subtly comp- the competition is it it's subtle. Actually, their saber rattling and show of strength with respect to Taiwan, I believe that 
although important, it is important. It's a little bit of a sideshow because it takes our attention away from more important, (laughs) huh? Yeah, more important subtle factors. Look over here. Exactly. What are those important subtle factors? Well, they've been extracting our tech knowledge for decades. They've been infiltrating our education system and benefiting from that. They've made substantial investments and purchases in in uh, valuable real estate in the United real States. Here. But what's also been important is to watch them in South America. They've mm-hmm. made significant investments and have more and Reports. more of a presence. Right. And also in Africa. You know, they have their roads program in, in, mm-hmm. a, in Africa. And this almost looks like what European countries did with respect to colonization and what we did and, yeah. and, and have done. You Taking know, a page of our this, book. That's right. This isn't new stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just got new actors, that's different right. locations. History and, can and, always and, tell us a good, uh, a good portion about what's going to happen. Right. And to the degree that we can defend against those movements and changes, great. To the degree that we can't, then that's really where we're, we're vulnerable. Why well, I'm a little bit less worried about Taiwan right now, and I give it deference, and it's certainly a really, really important place. But if we, if we really needed to move fast and manufacture lots and lots of microprocessors, and you've, there's been some recent legislation and some billions of dollars in spending to do that, I think somewhere in the Midwest, I'm not just not sure, then we already have the technology and the know-how, hey, it was ours anyway and to begin with. And so we could, we could replace that. But if we have very presence in South America, Africa, other parts of the world, and the same kind of infiltration, subtle infiltration process that the Chinese seem to be very, very good at, it's, that's, where, that's where we could have a real you know, loss of power or at least a, a really interesting conflict along the lines Dynamic. of, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm China and we own 70% of your farmland. And so we're going to make adjustment in the taxes associated with that. And you can't do anything about it. You know, that, that kind of thing, for sure, I think is more significant over time. And I, and I definitely agree. And I, and again, that that's the whole thought process for me is the more instability that the dollar has or any, just any currency, there is now a choice for you to make. It's never, it's, this is not something that's really been available to people for a long period of time. I would say the, this is the first chance to be, I, you know, the, the middle class is dead. The, the poor people are becoming more poor. The rich are becoming more rich. There is now a choice to make is, do I want to continue on this system that is inherently not the best for me? Uh, You know, time has shown that it's not beneficial to me. Or can I choose something else? And that's really something that hasn't really been done. You know, it used to be gold, but, you know, gold really doesn't have the same transfer of value anymore like you you can it's not easy to sell gold and buy gold to, to buy things with you know it's there's all there's massive fees on both sides of those transactions you know gold has just become a 
what you described, what people want to do with it. They want to buy it for low and they just want to switch it for more U.S. dollars eventually, right? Whereas now we have a choice of do I buy Bitcoin to eventually say I can purchase these things in Bitcoin and not go back to U.S. dollars. And that's how I think a lot of the younger generation that especially that's already in crypto, obviously, can can seize these things. Like, you know, I, I don't want to switch my cryptocurrency for U.S. dollars if I have if I don't have to. Me personally. Yes, that's so. definitely a, I, I would I think the consensus would be fewer people sort of 50 plus think in that same vein. But, sure. but but they sure start thinking about whether crypto can function enough sort of absent significant governmental interference to have sure. it be an effective and competitive medium of exchange. It's, it has to be competitive. It has to be better in some fashion, mm -hmm. speed. Yeah. You know, and they have to be, you know, we've seen it as just as of yesterday, you know, it, it isn't regulated. It, it isn't, you know, people who don't really know exactly what's going on see in the news that now that the, you know, practically the government is attacking some, some form of uh, privacy, through yes. tornado cash which uh, happened yesterday so if you haven't heard about this we can kind of just talk a little bit about it and i would like to talk about privacy as one of our educational you know next podcast coming up so this is a good little segue here but pretty much there was a application on ethereum network called tornado cash where you could send your money um, and then it would send it to a giant pool of money and then you were able to withdraw it to a different address at a later date using a secret phrase so essentially, you are putting your money with whoever else wants to put their money together and then withdrawing it. And as of yesterday, any any Ethereum address that had currently interacted with it and has money in the pool is now blacklisted from U.S. exchanges. So you are that money is essentially tainted, and that was over $437 million worth of Ethereum. And a the side effect of that was Circle, which runs USDC, which is a dollar-pegged stablecoin. We, we will talk about stablecoins at a later date as well. But essentially, a stablecoin is just a version of a crypto dollar that is always equal to $1. But now, any of those addresses that had USDC are not able to... They're essentially froze their money. So, you know, this is... In my, my eyes, this is... Very much so, you know, it doesn't mean that you're already a, a someone, a, a bad actor, if you want privacy. Like, people have used these things, you know, maybe there was a hack on their account, they wanted to keep more privacy, so they use these applications. It doesn't automatically guarantee that you were, you know, sending money to terrorist organizations or sending money to something that, you know, in their in, in the eyes of the government, you know, wrong, I would say. And there's definitely those people who do use that. There is always people who abuse these things. But at the end of the day, it's now pretty much blacklisted and you aren't able to send. The, the Ethereum is tainted and now you aren't able to move their U.S. dollars that were associated with USDC in these accounts. So pretty much around $80,000, which isn't very much. But again, it's it's that little erosion away and it's starting, and it's starting with this one. So my thought process here is... You know, we don't have a full regulatory framework for crypto. That's definitely going to keep the old generation away 
for the time being, right? Until we actually get that that that, that in order. And then now they see, oh wow, they're they're able to pretty much take your take away your funds if you're using certain things. So you have to be very well researched on which ones are actually centralized versus which ones are decentralized. Well, it'll be very interesting, Austin, to see how uh, this issue plays out. It goes to privacy, you know? So if you happen to live in a country with a non-democratic government, then you're not entitled to privacy. That's just not part of the deal. And if you live in a democratic society, then you're promised a privacy as long as the government can learn your business if it wants to. Yeah. <laughs> so <Exactly>. what's that? <laughs> what's that? It takes, uh, I mean, it is, you know, and, and again, slowly with, you know, the, you know, the problem, just the, the spread of the internet, you, you've seen how there is really no privacy. I mean, most of our right. private intimate things are, are either recorded or sold for, ad ad dollars you know so it's definitely a society where we don't really value it as much but over time i think we see more strain you know if 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 we see the you know certain governments starting to lose their strength you know that's what that's what they want that they they ha- they need that that power over people to kind of say like this is how this government functions correct so you know we we're, we're trying we're you know this could be the start of you know what happens when you kind of lose that first little bit of privacy and how far they can take it. Right. The question is what crypto wants to do is have decentralized finance be a reality and others sort of decentralized applications. And it's really a question how, to what degree the government's going to intrude upon that. And is the kind of intrusion, the kind that, the progress of a decentralized a- application, or can we sure. live with it? Th- that's what we have to watch play out and, sure. and make an assessment of. The problem with the, the, the challenge is, is that if governments are, are threatened when they don't feel like they're in the know, and so yeah. if there is a large and growing crypto sector that they're in some sense not privy to, yeah. Then that gets on their radar screen and what's going on there that's, you know, potentially impacting our tax revenues and our sustainability and so forth. And so it's just part of it is, I think, thoughtful management of the process of preserving the the there's certain structures of integrity of crypto that you have to preserve for it to, to Align, function. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, and government makers and government functionaries have to be sort of managed in accord with that. And the real question is, can the crypto group do that? Absolutely. But that's pretty much our our thought process for today. We covered price anchoring. We covered you know a little bit of a food for thought on what kind of the macroeconomics look like over the next you know couple couple years and the kind of switch between economics you know from a all-out warfare to more of an economic warfare that we have been seeing over the over the year since the invasion of ukraine you know what kind of these things play out and how they kind of change your investment theses on which of uh, which of these assets will will do well over time so for homework 
again, you know, researching a little bit more background into price anchoring, you can see what these things mean to you and what they mean to the psychology behind these purchases. And then as always, if you haven't made the, the jump yet into actually making purchasing crypto, make sure to get a hardware wallet to start with. Little tip, little bit of information here. My mother was compromised. Her, her, her crypto account through Coinbase was compromised. And luckily, you know, I was there making sure that she had already transferred everything out. But, you know, these these could have been a bad thing where she could have lost upwards of, you know, forty fifty thousand dollars if that if I hadn't been there. So making sure that you're using these things properly is of the utmost importance. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Austin. I appreciate that last little tidbit because that is <laughs> another <right>. aspect, <laughs> practical aspect. It's hard for the 50 plus population is the the notion of working with these hard wallets and the security associated with them and this and the working on these platforms and the security associated with them as well with, with respect to trading and holding coins and and dollars on these platforms absolutely so next week we'll be looking into a little bit more of just like security and privacy i believe i think it's a great segue from this episode into the next we can talk about what these hardware wallets actually do we can talk about what privacy is through crypto since this is all visible in a public domain and i think that'll be a great topic for next time thank you all for listening this is another episode of old dog new tricks we'll catch you next week great good chatting with you austin take care have a good one